Three months ago, the number of engineers at Accurate surpassed the number of designers. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Enrico Bertini and I am a professor at NYU in New York City where I teach and do research in data visualization. Yeah, and I'm Moritz Stefana. I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. In fact, I work as a self-employed truth and beauty operator out of my office here in the countryside in the north of Germany. And on this podcast, we talk about data visualization, analysis, and more generally the role data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with a guest or maybe sometime even two or three guests. <laughs> That's right. Um, and we have actually two guests today. But before we start, just a quick note, our podcast is listener supported. That means there are no ads, which is great, we think. Uh, that also means if you do enjoy the show, you could consider supporting us. You can do that either with recurring payments on patreon.com slash data stories or you can also send us a one-time donation on paypal.me slash data stories. So I think we're ready to start. This episode is a follow-up of our previous episode. And we are now focusing on uh, a topic that uh, I think we neglected for some time, which is about data visualization agencies. And today we have two people from two different agencies. We have Caroline Goulard from DataVice. Hi, Caroline. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Moritz. Thank you, Enrico, for the invitation. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. And then we have Gabriele Rossi from Accurate. Hi, Gabriele. Hello. Hello. Thank you, Enrico. Thank you, Moritz. When I say Gabriele, I'm, it's hard to say it in a pronunciation that is not Italian. <laughs> uh, yeah. Gabriele. Yeah. <laughs> Gabriele. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, can you briefly introduce yourself and give us a little bit of a background? And in this case, also, can you briefly introduce also your company? We want to know a little bit about what kind of company you have and what you do. Caroline, you want to start? Yeah, sure. So I'm one of the co-founders of DataVice with uh, Leo Gourven and Benoit Vidal. So DataVice, we are a French studio. A small agency of eight people, and we are specialized in data visualization. Um, we like to say that our core activity is human data interactions, uh, which includes data visualization and more generally, um, everything that helps users understand the data and do something useful with it. And so at DataVise, uh, I share my time between management tasks, running the studio and doing data visualization. So I'm part of the conception team inside DataVise. I'm doing user research, data exploration, data storytelling, information architecture. And so I was a student when uh, we started DataVise, so I've never really worked uh, anywhere else. Uh, I was studying data <laughs> journalism at that time, uh, more broadly, social science, uh, information and communication sciences. And so, yes, I've always been um, a mathematics lover. And so data visualization was the perfect way for me to combine my two patients, so math and uh, information. So, yes, mm -hmm. that's <laughs> to introduce. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Gabriele? Yeah, and I'm Gabriele Rossi. 
uh, I'm Italian, <laughs> as we previously noted, um, <laughs> and I'm a recovering designer, I like to say, <laughs> in the sense that uh, I majored in, in design. I worked as a designer uh, in the past, but I actually never worked as a designer at Accurate, the, the company that I, that I co-founded <laughs> uh, with um, Giorgia Lupi, Simone Quadri, and Paolo Labozzetta or my, my partners. And yeah, it just uh, happened in, I was in a transitioning phase, in a transition phase in my career after I realized that I wasn't as good as, as a designer as I thought I was <laughs> and that I liked the idea of uh, designing a company more than designing projects. And just like a joke, we were a designer myself and an architect, a sociologist and an economist. <laughs> and Walk into a bar. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Just like a joke. And what brought us together was like design and numbers, basically, and an interest for qualitative data. So that's how it came together. And we're now a company that has been founded in uh, Milan, in Italy. And we are 40 people uh, between our main office in Milan, where most of the design team is, and New York, where I live. And where we opened a few years ago, a small a commercial outpost to, to work with our American <laughs> clients. And yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's, it's quite a unique setup with the two different uh, time zones and uh, yeah. the split team. It's uh, amazing how it has worked out, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm still surprised it works, yeah. but somehow it works. <laughs> I believe, yeah. Gabriele, now that you're talking, I believe that once we recorded a Data Stories episode in your office in New yes. York. Yes, many, yes, Many years ago. That is true. We should <laughs> link to it. That, that's, that's a few years ago. Yeah, with Georgia, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah. So I think what we want to start with, I think it's always hard to summarize exactly all the projects that you work on, what type of project you do. So we were wondering if you can talk about the quintessential project of the type of project that you have done or you normally do in your company. Uh, Caroline, maybe you want to start? Yes, that's uh, always difficult to pick up yeah. one project. <laughs> None of a project is perfect. And um, so maybe I can take just two short uh, sure. to illustrate the different sides of what we do. Um, the first one I can choose is a project for Le Bon Coin. Le Bon Coin, it's the number one platform for sales uh, between private individuals in France, but it's also one of the biggest actors, what the biggest actor for classified ads uh, on car markets and real estate in France. And so they have also a lot of uh, professional users. And they asked us to design and to develop the dashboard for their professional accounts. And their initial idea was to give uh, to these professional users some information about their ads and their ads performance. So for example, number of views, number of clicks, so these kind of things. And uh, so we started this project and when we were doing our user research, we discovered that uh, the real final users, they were not at all interested about this kind of thing. They were not at all interested about this kind of KPIs because um, they were salesmen in uh, some small structures, for example, um, small car dealerships, or they were garage owners, or they were assistants or secretaries in uh, very small real estate offices. And all those people, uh, sometimes they had some very old computers and they 
they don't have time to follow KPIs. They are not looking to uh, this kind of thing. They don't like reporting. They are not interested about checking if they are good or not at Le Bon Coin every day. And they just want to sell. They want to sell their cars. They want to sell their real estate. Um, so we... The most interesting part of this project was uh, the user research part, the user-centric approach, because at the end, we transformed the initial idea of this uh, performance monitoring dashboard into a dashboard dedicated to ads that don't work on Le Bon Coin. Mm -hmm. um, because, in fact, we were working closely with the data science team and we collaborated with them to be able to identify ads that are less performing than others for the same kind of good. For example, uh, uh, ads that have less views or that have less clicks than other ads for the same kind of flat in, in the same region or the same kind of car uh, with the same model and so on. And this was much more interesting for our final users because uh, an ad that is not seen on Le Bon Coin, um, it's uh, a, a car that may stay in their garage or a flat or house that will uh, uh, stay longer. And this is really concrete stuff for them because it's loss mm -hmm. of uh, business opportunities. And so when we tested this idea with the, the final users, they love it. And so the, the visualization part of this project, it was really, really simple. It was not interesting at all. But <laughs> I like this project because it uh, illustrates uh, an important part uh, of our job, which is to find the right information inside the data, to make mm -hmm. something useful and something that has a real use value. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe the second project I would like to mention, it's uh, a project for Michelin in France. And it's exactly the opposite, because in this case, um, the data visualization was really key from the beginning to find what's interesting inside the data set. And in fact, uh, Michelin gave us an anonymized data set with the daily journeys of 50,000 car drivers. Uh, those drivers were uh, equipped with the uh, plugs inside their car and we we get one year of data. Uh, and the idea for Michelin was, yes, let's do something interesting with that. Um, we don't really know what's interesting inside this data set, <laughs> but if mm -hmm. you try to visualize it, I'm sure you will find something cool with that. <laughs> the typical wow me brief. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yes, and it the data... It didn't work out because sometimes these projects <laughs> can be difficult. Uh, yeah. But at the end, yes, um, the... The interesting part is not really the result, but more the process, as you, as mm -hmm. we say. Um, the, the idea was the data set was really, really huge. So it was not really possible to look at the data first and uh, define what we want to do with that. So we mm -hmm. were um, doing prototypes, uh, data visualization prototypes, my prototypes with the real data from the beginning of the project. And we have been working two months on the project and each week we were trying something different testing a new mm -hmm. prototype, a new visualization. And at the end, um, it yeah, we managed to deliver something that was functional because uh, little by little we came to something interesting. Mm -hmm. And at the end, the final prototype, it was quite helpful to understand mobility pattern. And Michelin was finding good to discuss with the local authorities or cities to discuss about mobility pattern. And so... This illustrates the other part of what we do, which is 
using data visualization as a knowledge tool to find interesting patterns, to find some new information and make everyone uh, able to make it their own, not only developers or not only experts. And so, yes, that's the two sides of what we do, uh, finding the right information uh, and trying to discover something new with the data, something useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love yeah. how you're not stopping at just making it look good or like doing, you know, the first thing the client has in band, but it seems like you're really pushing uh, to, to getting the best out of a project. So that's that's awesome. Yeah. Gabriele, how about you uh, and Accurat? Yeah. Well, is there like a typical Accurat project? I know you, you have a lot going on. Is yeah. <laughs> there are, I'd say there are families of projects because oh, yeah. um, we started mostly doing data visualization, uh, of course, but... Now, I think it, it's limiting to say that we, we do data visualization. I'd say that we mostly do like data-driven design or however you, or design-driven data, depending on <laughs> the perspective <laughs> you take. Depending on who drives whom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we end up in very different situations where like I'd say the common denominator is always they have to do with design, they have to do with data. And I'd say... All of our projects can be divided into two main families. So communication and experience design projects and more functional work and uh, business oriented uh, tools and solutions. Mm -hmm. So like a, a few examples of the first family could be all of activities related to reporting. For example, we work extensively with the World Economic Forum, United Nations, World Bank, doing static interactive reporting for them. But also, for example, we did a project for Starbucks that opened their first um, roastery in Milan that um, is a very particular story. <laughs> Quite store. a political issue, right? To like to have an American yeah, yeah. coffee company in Italy. Yeah, and, and not just so, that. Yeah. I mean, the, the story <laughs> says that um, Howard Schultz, the founder, was inspired to create uh, a place like Starbucks when he visited Milan. Look, ah, okay. so yeah, yeah. he was really, yeah. yeah, he was really afraid of opening there because of, of course, <laughs> potential criticism, but also he wanted to give an homage, like a homage to me, yeah, to Milan. Yeah. And so what we did for them was to create like a sculptural installation inside uh, the roastery where we created a wall that is like 30 meters wide, like 90 feet wide, uh, that it's all made of like brass panels that have been etched and carved according to data about Starbucks. So three overlaying. Uh, Just your run of the mill data with project, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Carving data in bronze. Carving yeah. in brass. Yeah. That's as as you normally do. Exactly. <laughs> Again, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bread and butter <laughs> exactly yeah 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 but i think what many people don't know because also georgia lupi's work is so widely known and, and rightfully so but yeah. there's also a lot of like tools and and all kinds yeah. of projects that Akurat uh, has put out over the years and it's really the yeah. like data wise the full spectrum of what data visualization can be and i think that's yeah that's, uh, quite cool yeah and it ranges yeah. from like this physical installations and digital projects to actually um 
business oriented work. Like we have been building for the past three years, a cloud-based data science platform for a mortgage data provider. So it's basically like based on the idea of like a, a Python notebook. Uh, yeah. It's like a solution that helps them sell their data in a cloud-based environment instead of just shipping a hard drive with their data on. Uh, they're providing access in real time to the data and the tools that data scientists need to work with this data. So mm -hmm. to load different models, play with them. And we have been building this platform uh, for the past three years. We're still improving it. And it's it's very different from other types of projects because we have a longstanding relationship with the client where our teams are integrated. So our design and engineering team works with their engineering team. And we have been working remotely with them for the past three years, building this incredibly big platform that was a heavy lift on the technical side. And, and of course, it includes data visualization that we designed, but data visualization is just like the tip of the iceberg in this case. Mm -hmm. Or for example, one of our biggest clients is IBM, and we've been working with them for the past four years, um, consulting on like creating data viz uh, branding guidelines uh, for, for them. So we're responsible to uh, write, create, maintain, and keep updated this uh, data visualization guidelines for the entire company. So for all of IBM worldwide, and mm -hmm. we are now integrated with their team, working with their designers and engineers in creating both guidelines, rules, but also samples, uh, examples, uh, snippets of code, and even actual JavaScript visualizations that are used in their library. So it's uh, the range of projects uh, is pretty <laughs> wide and, uh, and different. And also now I think an interesting aspect of our company is that uh, I, I think three months ago, the number of engineers at Accurate surpassed the number of designers. Ooh. So, Ooh. so there was yeah. this <laughs> huge shift. Yeah, <laughs> we started yeah. just designing and now we're basically yeah. a software yeah. company. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I wanted to ask, like, because on the one hand, you have all these, um, like both of you, these very like visible, experimental, crazy, let's say, projects. And, and then at the same time, if you want to run an agency or also if you want to bring maybe real value to some clients, you also need to think about tools and ongoing relationships and more maybe the bread and butter type projects. Right. And. I was wondering, uh, do you think about it this way and, uh, or what's the division like maybe between these more crazy and the more solid projects? Um, do you do a lot of, um, first experimentation maybe on yourself and then later try to find a client maybe for more experimental projects? How, how do you balance this innovation versus stability part? Caroline, maybe. Yeah. Um, I will say that about all of our client projects, uh, there is an, an experimentation part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's quite rare that a project there, there is nothing new, nothing complicated. <laughs> so most part of the time we are doing a bit of experimentation in each client mm -hmm. project. You always try to innovate, never tick the boxes and move on, but just. Yeah, but it's also the reason yeah. why. Uh, a client come to us because mm -hmm. if it if it will be simple, they will find somewhere else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to be realistic, I think uh, 
doing a project with us at Datavise, it's more expensive than doing the project with a, a mm-hmm. more classic agency. So if they right. come to us, it's really because there is something too complicated or that that needs more expertise in data visualization they can't find somewhere else in France. Mm-hmm. So, so the clients that come to you know already the type of work you like to do and, and they, they say, oh, we need data-wise, otherwise this won't work. Yeah. Yes, and although um, if they are ready to pay for this kind of work, which has a cost, that means that they are ready for experimentation. That's... Mm-hmm. That's a bit too optimistic. It's not that easy. <laughs> and sometimes, yes, the project is not really interesting or the data are not really in- is not really interesting or not good enough or some clients are... It's, it's, the project is not that good at the end. But yes, there is always a experimentation part. And also, the difference inside database, it's not between uh, interesting or experimental experiment uh, project for client and more classic project for clients but between client work and internal project uh, because we dedicate half a day per week for everyone mm-hmm. in the team for internal experimentation so That's everyone nice. oh, yeah i should do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a good idea yeah is it like yeah. always the same half day like friday afternoon or, or like tuesday morning or something like this or? yeah monday monday morning yeah, cool. and uh, ah that's the perfect start yeah. of the week yeah. <laughs> monday Mon- is a good choice yeah yeah, yeah. It's, normally it's either monday or friday right but monday yeah. i think it's a better yeah. choice I also have a routine that I have zero expectations for myself <laughs> on a Monday morning, especially. I, like, I, you know, it's totally fine if I do nothing. It's also very <laughs> relaxing. <laughs> yeah. 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 And yes, that's a very good uh, system we found because it's uh, during this half day, anyone can work on an internal project of its choice. Or also people are um, learning things, making some uh, learning formation. And um, at the end, this is the way we can try some new technologies, uh, develop some internal project that give us visibility because most part of our clients work at the moment, it's confidential. So we can show much of what we do. Uh, and so internal project, it's really a good thing for communication uh, material. And also it's a way to test something we cannot sell for the moment and to stay up to date with the technologies. So it's, it's not at all something we give to uh, the team to, to play or, or just to to relax or to do something more interesting alpha day it's really something that is an investment for the future of the studio and which really work really well nice yeah i absolutely agree uh with what caroline said and yeah it every project has uh its own component of like innovation because ultimately if a client ends up working with us it's because there's a problem that they cannot solve without uh, data visualization specific expertise or like an expertise in working with large amounts of data and creating digital experiences that leverage uh, this data. So uh, there's we're often tasked with problems that uh, couldn't be solved uh, by the client. So I'd say there's a, yeah, a component of innovation in and experimentation in every project. And I agree, 
it's valid for most of the projects. Sometimes it doesn't happen. And usually the relationship doesn't work when there is little space for experimentation because uh, it means that we're not needed to to solve the problem. So it becomes a commodity, basically. Mm -hmm. And so these projects usually either don't happen because if it's something that doesn't require uh, highly trained staff uh, to do, it's probably not going to be paid much. And, and also if the client doesn't value the expertise of our staff, probably the relationship is not going to going to work ultimately. So <laughs> even for the most business oriented work, we actually do a lot of experimentation, sometimes even more because it's, it's a deeper level of experimentation because it's not just, not just on the surface on how you present information, but it has a lot to do with how you solve structural issues in dealing with information. So like information density and mm. working with interfaces on multiple devices with visual information, with multiples like input interfaces and different screen ratios. So yeah, I think it's a common denominator of our work is the fact that we always have to do something different from uh, the project before. Mm -hmm. And is that easy for clients to understand or do you find yourself explaining the process a lot and having to explain a lot that uh, you can't really make a mock-up before you have looked at the data in detail and all these other truisms of, of data-driven <laughs> yeah. design? Um, uh, what's your your experience like? Do you have to educate your clients a lot or uh, is by now everybody pretty much on board with an open ex data exploratory design process? No, we have to explain a lot, um, and we we explain a lot at the beginning. We try to be as clear as possible at the start of the project, so there is no surprise. Um, but what's what's cool is that when they come to us, they need expertise, so they rely on us, and yeah. uh, they don't try to push their methodology. Or they they just accept the way we want to work as long as it gives them enough reassurance mm -hmm. um, because sometimes they have to show um, some steps to their boss or they have exactly. to yeah. yeah to How will it look? Yeah. yeah. What is it that we're paying so much for? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But yeah. As long as it's clear at the beginning what they will get at, at which period of the project, how we will work after mm -hmm. that, they they are able to agree or not to, to work with us or not. So, yeah. And if they want to work with us, it's going to be this way. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's true that you need to, to give lots of information, lots of rea reassuring them mm. at any part of the project, sh showing them stuff. And also because it's a good way to onboard the client inside the complexity mm -hmm. of the project mm -hmm. and other way at the end it's going to be difficult for him to evaluate what you have done if you don't yeah. explain to him all along the project what you are doing what why it's complex uh, why it doesn't work and things like that so usually i like this kind of relationship with the client because it's not a uh, client giving order but it's more you a relation where you have to uh, explain him a lot, uh, 
train him on something. So the client is learning something new with you and you are working with him in a trust relationship and it's the best way to work with clients. And doing data visualization, we are uh, yeah, more able to work like that than if we were doing something more classic. Yeah, I think an advantage of data viz is that at least you can probably even early on start showing something, mm -hmm. right? So <laughs> that's uh, yeah, but sometimes then it looks ugly. You know, it comes out of Tableau or R <laughs> or yeah. something, and then people are yeah. confused and they they get afraid. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you do have to <laughs> explain a bit what 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 things are. <laughs> In general, it's it's also uh, why I think we work better with long-standing clients uh -huh. because yeah. after a while. Um, uh, like the relationship evolves and as soon as we are recognized as the experts and you need to show it, you need to, to prove, prove it, it with yeah. your work. Yeah. But as soon as we develop a relationship that allows us to do what we think it's best for the project and where the client trusts our method, then it's when we really get to interesting results because we're able to forget about showing the client that we're working in the right way, but just it's all about focusing on providing value. Yeah. So one thing we, we wanted to ask you is, um, you know, you are very valuable representatives of, of, of those agencies who've been around for a long time. Right. And, um, how do you think the database field has changed over the years and, uh, um, yeah, before starting the interview with you, I was thinking, wow, when we started even the podcast, uh, uh, very few people were around, right? I think actually one of the reasons why uh, me and Moritz got together the first time was like, I was wondering, oh, there is such a thing as a data viz freelancer. <laughs> wow, that's so interesting. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot has changed. So I was wondering if you could share your perspective on what, what happened over over the years. Yeah. The kind of project we we are working on really changed a lot along these nine past years. Um, at the beginning, we were doing a communication project a lot. So data storytelling projects mm -hmm. for brands or for organizations who were looking for uh, something attractive, uh, information experience that, uh, that can be attractive. And then we have been doing less and less communication projects and more and more uh, business-oriented tools. Mm -hmm. For big companies mm. who have massive data sets, who have data yeah. challenges, they need business tools, they need to work better with their data, and we have been doing more and more tools like that. And nowadays, since I will say one year and a half, uh, more and more we are working with smaller companies. Um, their core business is a product, most part of the time, that relies on data. And those companies, they already have some designers and some developers to build the product, to build their software, but they do not have any expertise in data visualization or in data design, and they don't know where to find this expertise. They, they, they don't, they, they can't hire people with this expertise because there are too few. And, um, they need to build their product with us. And so we are working with them. Uh, we are joining that, that team for three months or six months and we build the product with them 
And after that, we, we leave and we, we train their team at the same time. Mm-hmm. And this is something new. And maybe this is something interesting because in my opinion, in the future, any product or any new application software will be dealing with data in one way or another because it's it's like the the new wave it's it's not the new way but it's the way information will be uh, encoded and so maybe the expertise we have any people working on applications or softwares will need to get this expertise for the future to be able to deal with our new information overload environment and so on. So maybe this is just the preliminary um, step for a world where any designer will be a data visualization designer or at least a (laughs) human data interaction designer. And, Mm -hmm. And maybe we are just at the beginning and we are making the transition but uh, yeah um, this is quite interesting to see that from communication to business tools to building a product with people um, yeah yeah I think it's also like the future will probably um, be shaped around like two of the key components I think uh, agencies have is that that they integrate a multidisciplinary team uh, mm-hmm. often so people that have been working together for a while and but that have different expertise but know how to combine these expertise and and also the exposure to multiple projects that's something our clients clients value a lot because you can start a data visualization team in your company but it will most likely be focused on one specific task or a set of tasks and sometimes bringing in someone who has seen different types of visualization who has dealt with that specific situation Mm. or with similar but slightly different situations that provide different challenges can bring an outside perspective that it's very useful for for the company. What we've seen during our evolution is that initially we were hired for anything that had to do with data visualization. As Caroline said, like a lot of storytelling projects, one-off visualizations, the single report, a single image or a poster or a single interactive visualization. More and more, I see that this like part of work now is being developed internally within organizations. And what's left is the very high end uh, stuff. So the very complex problems that need people who have been working on similar challenges for many years and need integrated teams with different skills that range from data scientists to the experienced designer, the front end developer mm-hmm. that all have an experience with data. But also, uh, interestingly, a lot of very basic work that now it's done uh, manually that needs to be automated in some way that needs to scale. And this requires sometimes the expertise of someone from the outside who can uh, help guide the process of scaling. Like if you hire one designer, this designer can output 10 data visualizations a day. But what if you need 10,000 a day? How can you set up a system that allows you to replicate a very simple job at scale? Mm. And I think uh, that's also an aspect. So the very low and the very high end of the spectrum remains probably what's in the middle will be developed internally by organizations and to create the teams that develop this work you need training 
And this is also something that is growing for us. We do a lot of training of internal resources. We help organizations hire people and set up teams. So we do interviews for them. We help them pick the right people, form the right teams who will ultimately end up working with us. And yeah. it's evolving. It's so interesting because you think yeah. you're thinking about color scales or chart types, <laughs> but then you find yourself becoming a digital transformation advisor. You know? so, yeah. yeah, and sometimes problem, <laughs> problems have been already solved. Like you want to start your data visualization guidelines in your company. You hire a new designer and this designer needs to come up with ideas for colors, for stuff that has already been sold and that we have sold somewhere else so we can be quicker. So yeah, it doesn't make sure. sense that the desire, designer or engineer you hired focuses on that because we can be more effective having seen multiple yeah. of those projects. Yeah. I'd like to ask a bit about the scaling part because this is something I'm super curious about. So I think a lot of the work we see, like like prominent data visualization projects, often are done by individuals or like small, tight knit teams. You know, maybe also like data wise, you you guys have been working together for many years in in a very similar constellation. You know each other very well. Um, but then we also have companies like Accurat or Clever Franke, which scale beyond the the magical five to seven people. <laughs> And how, how do you manage? the scaling process and and how how do you put your teams together how do you make sure knowledge is, is also transferred across i don't know departments or now that if you hire a lot of engineers how how, how do you keep things as you say interdisciplinary and 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 unified and connected yeah you have to force it because um <laughs> easy yeah, answer yeah, in a way it, yeah, <laughs> yeah it doesn't just happen exactly it doesn't just happen. yeah yeah it doesn't just right. happen yeah. and also um, <laughs> most projects don't require more than five people uh -huh. yeah so yeah. it means that our team is divided in smaller teams that work on multiple projects mm -hmm. and what we do is we try as much as possible to mix these teams so that you get to work with different people every time up to a certain yeah. um like so until you would never throw 10 or 15 people on a on a project because you would say no, unless there's a lot of work probably no right? unless there's a lot of manual work okay to yeah. to do even the most complex complex like engineering tasks They rarely involve more than four or five engineers yeah, yeah. because over that it becomes unmanageable. And what we try to do is uh, we force a process to share information between people. So like, for example, we have a weekly data viz recap and a weekly experience design recap, a weekly mm -hmm. soft like front end recap, mm -hmm. which means that everyone that's interested, no, not necessarily uh, the people that have a, a label attached to their name that deals with experience design, but like everyone who's working on a project that involves experience design in the company joins. And the idea is that each person has five minutes to share what they're working on and the challenges they're facing. So there's a round table on how that challenge could be solved so that people learn about other projects in the, in the firm and mm -hmm chime in on how they would approach the pro the problem so you get the advantage of having many experts around the table but then you can keep a smaller team to yeah. to to run the nice. single project then we also have like we offer lunch uh, one day like every thursday we have this like learning burgers 
now it's not not just burgers anymore. They they, <laughs> they get what they want. <laughs> We're not forcing the burgers. <laughs> it started with burgers, but now it's <laughs> learning with what you want to order. <laughs> and the, they have a, <laughs> the, the team has a program like as a schedule, and each one in the team comes up with a topic they want to talk about to the entire company. And they just give a lesson about something that they had to study for a project or something they know. So for example, our data scientists uh, talk about uh, a specific topic that might be of interest for designers working with machine learning tools or like creating interfaces for artificial intelligence. And then a designer talks about problems with tool tips in, in data visualization. Or <laughs> that's actually one of the hardest ones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we have this rotation of like lectures done yeah. by the team for the team to yeah. go deeper on topics, and that's also an added value for for clients in this sense because we're leveraging the size of the team while keeping the small teams, the small project teams, more agile. Yeah. Yeah, my experience is that it's hard to scale. Uh, we are just eight at the device. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm, yeah, my feeling is that if you can scale, it's only with small teams working together because doing data visualization, you need to work really closely, designers and developers. Um, but I think to be able to scale, you need two things. First, I think you need partners to be dedicated to that which, mm. it, which is not our case at the device. Which also um, really manage that process and think yeah. about like the culture and the, the, the exactly. collaboration. Yeah. It's at the device, uh, the partners, we are um, sharing our time be between uh, doing client work, working with the team and uh, running the, the, the studio. And this is, yeah, not enough time to focus on scaling because you need mm -hmm. yes to be dedicated to that and also i feel that um we would be quickly limited by the difficulty of uh hiring people inside this field um yeah we feel that it's really complicated to find people who have already worked in the field of data visualization who are already trained who know how to do data visualization inside a, a studio um, and so you need to train people a lot when we are hiring people, designers or developers, they, they don't really know data visualization. They sometimes are a bit interested about that, but they have to learn uh, when they arrive and it takes some time and it's really a limit to scale uh, this mm. kind of team. In my opinion, but may, it may yeah. be different. I mean, in there's other many ways you can grow. You can grow bigger, or you can grow better, and you yeah. know. And so I think <laughs> yeah. that's the beauty of it. That there's so many ways you can take this. And yeah, yeah but, but it, it requires time. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. out of like we're four partners, but just two of us uh, work full time at the company. Mm -hmm. So it's me here in New York and Simone in Milano, and. We're full time, not on projects. So we're not involved on projects. Yeah. Then we have a head of operations mm -hmm. yeah. who also is not involved on projects. And yeah. uh, we have like six uh, now directors that only involve half of their time on projects. Right. Everything mm -hmm. else yeah. is just managing teams, managing sure. yep. the entire yeah. company and organizing this. But it like one thing that gets easier with scale is the training component. 
because it was very hard for us initially when we hired someone we needed to hire someone who already had a specific skill set so we needed to be more picky on the previous experience now we are much freer we can focus on the individual characteristics and not necessarily on the background because uh, having a large team provides many opportunities for training and so it gets easier so we're now focusing more on people that we think have the right uh, uh, mindset rather mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. that already know how to use uh, react mm-hmm. or yeah. that already know how to design a bar chart they will get it if they are curious and if they have the 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 individual like personal skills uh, they can learn it thanks to the size of the company and sure so it gets easier with scale that's an advantage yeah and it's something that is quite complex to make people like designers and developers work together on a data visualization project and in my opinion this is really um a barrier to entry for other kind of company. For example, in, in France, we see lots of um, consultancy firms, big firms, consulting big big firms who are hiring uh, developers, data scientists, and who are also hiring designers. Uh, and they, they don't, they just can do, cannot do what we are doing because they don't know how to make those people work together. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they, they they have data scientists, they have uh, user experience designers, but they can't do the kind of project we are doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yes, this is something really specific and very hard to explain how you make those talented people work together. Because at the beginning, um, designers that are doing data visualization, they in database team, they know how to cut. They are also developers, and at the same time, developers inside our team, they are also designers, or part of their brain is also <laughs> a designer brain, and um, they are talented people, and also they have a mix of skill that is quite unique each of them, and which is really difficult to replicate or to train. So. It will be really hard for me to explain how we make <laughs> the team work together <laughs> at database. It's something a bit magic. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's maybe what what's the strength of of agencies, right? With the real value behind companies like yours is the actual culture and system that you created, and you can't really. It's not a simple ingredient, right? You, you maybe, as you just said, you can even explain it. And that's, that's the real value. And, and, and it's what is really hard to replicate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and also, I think in general, uh, European work culture helps us because, um, I mean, we have people in our team that have been with us for seven years, eight years. And, like in a fast moving market like the United States, for example, it's hard mm. to find people that want to uh, focus for a good mm. part of their career yeah, on, on one company. And this creates, like helps creating a, a culture. So now we have people that have been working on accurate projects for many years that know our methodology inside out. And this multiplies the opportunity to train people on how we work. And I think it's it's an advantage of uh, 
how we're culturally used to to work as opposed to changing job every year moving from tech company to tech company that uh clearly makes it harder to to create this connection between different disciplines and create a culture that is not yeah that that allows this permeation of uh skills and knowledge yeah yeah that that's really interesting it's actually something i never really thought about but it's a <laughs> it's a really good point <laughs> yeah and and it's not because like opportunities miss it's just that mm-hmm. people like people don't feel that they have to change job to to grow yeah, yeah so if you yeah. give them opportunities i think it's it's also cultural you know that that's a really good point so I think we have to wrap it up soon, but um, we want to conclude with a couple of questions. <laughs> so we want Gabriele to ask a question to Caroline and then Caroline to ask a question to Gabriele. <laughs> so Gabriele, you want to start? Yes, yes. <laughs> um, one question that I ask myself a lot <laughs> and that I always <laughs> like to ask. Uh, like data viz entrepreneurs uh fellows is why are you still doing this <laughs> so what what keeps you doing this even after like 10 years you've been at it like what's the motivation the drive that keeps you there yeah um maybe the first one is uh, just like doing data visualization um maybe because I feel that it's the only place where I can express the two parts uh, of my brain, the one centered on information, empathy, and the one centered on math, science. Um, maybe also because I'm still learning a lot at DataVise. Um, I'm learning a lot every day because we are working on interesting projects and complex uh, stuff, uh, but also because running a small company with uh, talented people, it's something that is challenging uh, and that makes you learn a lot uh, about yourself, about others. And um, maybe um, it's something that is so interesting and it takes a lot of time and it's really a big part of your life uh, doing this kind of thing and running a, a, comp- a studio like this that at the end you feel that uh, it's impossible to do something else because you won't find <laughs> anywhere else the same interest it will never be as interesting yeah, somewhere else you're and spoiled for life basically. yeah and maybe <laughs> maybe you get a bit blind uh, you are not <laughs> you are not um, <laughs> realistic about what's outside because you are absolutely convinced that your place is the best place on earth so <laughs> it cannot be <laughs> a school somewhere else but yeah maybe it's because we are too much deep inside the <laughs> the, the game yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's amazing if you still enjoy it like why why change right it's, it's yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's the it's the same for me. Uh, same, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you also have a question for Gabriele in return? Caroline? Yeah, and it's also a question I ask myself a lot, and I never know <laughs> what to answer. And the the question is, um, what what would you be doing if you hadn't founded Accurate? Um, where were you at the moment if Accurate did not exist? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I. I can say what I wouldn't be, 
like what I'm sure I would not be doing. Definitely, I would not be a designer, <laughs> I think, because it was like a, a big moment in my life when I realized that, yeah, I studied design, I started working as a designer, but I'm, I don't like it. I'm not, <laughs> that, that's not my... <laughs> can be a really important realization <laughs> to, yeah, yeah, it's, to understand uh, what you don't yeah. want to do. That's good. I like yeah. to work in design, so mm -hmm. I, I yeah. love it. And I like to design, but I like to design systems. So like, I really love to design... Mm -hmm. I love designing my company yeah. and like best moment in my week is our partners meeting on Monday evening when we get to think about what we need to do to improve the company, to work on it. That's where, when I'm a designer and yeah. I like solving these challenges, but definitely I, I don't like the actual design task on a, on a, on a project. I'm fascinated by product companies but I'm definitely not fascinated by Silicon Valley culture. So, uh, I, like, I, I know I would love to work on a product, but not in the stereotypical VC funded way where you have to mm -hmm. run to own the market. And if you mm -hmm. don't do it, you're done because I feel there's space for digital products companies that, uh, aim not at conquering a huge market and make billions, but that can create sustainable businesses, but like, like our company, like lifestyle yeah. businesses, something I, I will never become a billionaire, uh, with accurate. And that's not the point there. There's no way this could happen because it can only scale with the amount of hours people can dedicate to the work. So there, there is no magical trick. Uh, and I think this idea can be applied. There are many successful product companies that are not VC backed or not entirely VC backed that are, I think, a good opportunity for the future. And I'd like to explore like how you can create a software or a digital product without the logic of scaling for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. Because you need to provide an economical return to who put money in your venture. So that's something that I would like to explore. Or maybe mm -hmm. teaching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're making me think like after slow food, you can do slow, slow business. Yeah. I mean, there are thing, right? yeah. very the successful companies. Yeah. Like there you go. Basecamp. Yeah. Basecamp is an example. Mm -hmm. Basecamp is a nice example. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. There are many. It can be done for sure. Mm -hmm. It can be done. <laughs> <laughs> I might be doing that. <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, sharing your wisdom with us. We are very happy to have you on the show. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing what else is going to come from, from your great companies. Thanks so much for joining us. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye. Hey folks, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is crowdfunded and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash datastories where we publish monthly previews of upcoming episodes for our supporters. Or you can also send us a one-time donation via PayPal at paypal.me slash datastories. Or as a free way to support the show, if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be very helpful as well. 
And here's some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, so follow us there for the latest updates. We have also a Slack channel where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, go to our own page at datastory.es, and there you'll find a button at the bottom of the page. And there you can also subscribe to our email newsletter if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish a new episode. That's right. And we love to get in touch with our listeners. So let us know if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or know any amazing people you want us to invite or even have any project you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Don't hesitate to get in touch. Just send us an email at mail at datastory.es. That's all for now. Hear you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.